Christ is the Lamb of God. Christ is the forgiveness. He is the priest. He is the King. And He is forever our hope. Are you in? Amen. Well, we are here today celebrating Jesus Christ, man. That's why we rally together. So whether we've rallied here in person or if you've joined with us online, may we be able to set aside whatever's going on and make it all about Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen, man. So we're in a series here called Greater. And we're talking about Jesus Christ as our sacrifice. He is greater. Everybody just say, he is greater. Say it like you are absolutely celebrating him. Say it to him. He is greater. May he get all of our praise and glory. Man, don't hold back on that. He is greater. There is no one like him. And so as we are walking through Hebrews chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, we're talking about Jesus as our sacrifice. He, the high priest, stepping into the presence of God the Father and offering up himself as he had gone to the cross, that sacrifice for you and for me. You know, we talked about the fact that the author of Hebrews um, is writing to Jewish people, right? That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. He's writing to Hebrew people. And so he's writing from an Old Testament perspective. He's, He's helping them to recognize the transition they're coming through and out of as they're stepping out of this first covenant, the old covenant, and stepping in with Jesus Christ. And he knows that there's some wrestling and some challenging families that are pressing in. And they're beginning to question even where they're at with Christ. And so he's showing them as he looks at the Old Testament, all these different things that are pointing to the fact that yes, Jesus Christ is our hope. Trust in him. And so there's a lot of Old Testament look back. That said, that means each week we're going to be looking at a different piece of some Old Testament truth, things that maybe you and I aren't as familiar with. And so each week we're going to be doing a little bit of a trailer here in Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10, where I'm sort of giving you a little bit of an update, a little bit of a look back into the Old Testament so we know what we're talking about, and then we'll dive into the passage, all right? So here goes the trailer. Ready? I'm your trailer. Here we go. So as we look back into the Old Testament, we've been talking talking about the tabernacle. That was over the last three weeks we were talking about that and uh, we're able to take advantage of using the LED wall and kind of enter into what that tabernacle would have really looked like at kind of a 15 foot by 15 foot by 45 feet deep kind of area and the worship that went on there. But what exactly would the priests have done? Like, what was their step-by-step? And so as somebody would have walked up to the altar as they were standing outside the tabernacle, somebody walks in with a sheep, part of their interaction would have been to talk with them. They would have been talking about the sin that they need to get covered. And then they would have been giving a lamb or a dove or a goat in some way according to sacrificial laws. They would have been giving that over to the priest. The priest then would be having that person actually participate in, laying their hand on that animal. And as the priest went to sacrifice, their hand laid on was literally saying, my sin is going on you. Like there was an element of symbolism of I'm I'm pressing this down onto the animal. And then the animal was sacrificed, blood being spilled, that blood being caught into a little bit of a bowl. And they would have then taken that. They would have walked over to the altar and on each of the corners of the altar, there's this hook sticking up. It's called the four horns of the altar. And they would take blood and they would put it on each of the horns of the altar as if to say, the sacrifice that our God allows can cover sin. 
And then the next thing that would happen is they would take, it's called a hyssop, but it's basically like grass pulled up out of the ground. And they would dip that into the blood and they would use that blood to be able to sprinkle onto different elements and it would make them holy. And so they would have this cleansing ritual in the Old Testament of being able to take the blood and they would kind of go like this onto the altar and it was like this blood sacrifice now in be- on behalf of this sin being covered. Lord, you are cleansing. You are making holy. In fact, they would take that sprinkled blood and they would use that on every piece of the worship. Everything would get that sprinkled blood on it as a part of a worship saying, God, you cleanse. Now remember, the Old Testament was but a shadow, right? And so we have the light of God beaming down. It's hitting Jesus Christ, the main object, the main subject of. And as the light hits Jesus in all of his glory, will it cast a shadow back into the Old Testament? And so all of these shadows are simply saying this. Man, something is coming that is going to be absolutely essential. There is going to be the blood of a lamb that is so going to be needed to make everything righteous. Hang on. And so the celebration in the Old Testament was actually a looking forward through that shadow using that animal's blood, using the sprinkling onto each element to be able to consecrate it to God before worship. May there be some level of celebration of the life that God gives through the blood that is shed. That's a little bit of the role of the priest, and there's so much that could be gone into, but at least we know there's this working with the blood, there's taking the animal, there's having the sin laid on the animal, there's the sprinkling of the blood to consecrate, and that gets us a little bit of an understanding as we dive in to today's passage, all right? So turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 15. Hebrews 9, starting in verse 15, and point number one is look to Jesus, your hope of eternal life because of his death on the cross. Look to Jesus, your hope of eternal life because of his death on the cross. So he starts out now, he says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And we'll just hold right there. He says, therefore, and when we see the word therefore, we say, yeah, well, what is the therefore, therefore? It's got a purpose. What's its purpose? The purpose of this word is connecting us back into the prior passage where it's talking all about Jesus Christ as greater. It's talking about Jesus Christ as the one who ascended into the heavens who entered into the presence of God the Father as great high priest, the one who brought a sacrifice that was himself, his death on the cross, his blood spilled. And as he entered into the presence of God the Father in the heavens, right, as he entered into the presence of actually in heaven with God the Father after having died on the cross and risen, he stepped in as high priest saying, this is now being done for all. For all of those who will believe in me, for all of those who will trust, it is done once for all. Everybody say, once for all. And so while the Old Testament high priest came once per year, Jesus goes once for all, once forever. And that covers all sin, future, present, and past. Jesus Christ, our hope. He is the great high priest, and he is the great sacrifice 
him for me. In fact, it even says the effect on it is to purify our conscience. While the Old Testament did nothing but consecrate or purify the externals, the New Testament is talking about purifying the inside and the outside, Christ doing it all. He is greater. Therefore, right, that's where it's coming from. Therefore, uh, he is the mediator of a new covenant. He is the mediator of a new covenant. I'm not sure if we understand how important this little phrase is. And it's super important that we grasp this. So let's just break it down real carefully. First, it says he, talking about Jesus. Everybody say, that's Jesus. Right, Jesus is the mediator. That means he stands in between. That means he's connecting two sides. What are the two sides? God and man. Jesus Christ, he is fully God, so he can represent properly. And he's fully man, so he can represent properly. And so he stands in between man and God and he mediates. He is bringing together God's plan for righteousness and holiness and man's sinful need for coverage. And he's restoring the two as mediator. And then it says, of a new covenant. Of a new covenant. Now, there's two different words for the word new in the Greek. One just means like it's kind of fresh as regards to time. Like there's a new, like I had a glass of water. I have a new glass of water. It's the same thing. It's just new in time, right? But there's another kind of new and it means new of a whole different kind. Like this is new, better, other. It's accomplishing way more. This new covenant that's going on that Christ now is the mediator of is so much better. It does way more than just some external consecration. It's way more than just a symbol. It is actually the payment and coverage of sin. And it allows and brings a healing of the soul from the inside out. It is new and of a different kind. It is so much better as he begins to literally change our hearts just as we look upon him, as we grasp who he is and worship him. Did you know that? Your worship unleashes his power into your soul and it literally changes you a little bit at a time. As you grasp how great he is, he begins to use that power unleashed into you to shape and change you. The goal is your heart changed. A new covenant of a whole different kind, purifying the conscience from inside. It says of a new covenant. This word means an agreement between God and man. There's something very unique in this agreement. It's a pact, if you will. It's a will, if you want to talk about it that way. It's, it's him agreeing and working with. Literally, it means to be setting things in order. The word itself means there is a setting things in order, a covenant. And God is the one who sets them in order. And we're going to come back to this word covenant in just a little bit. But bottom line is, Jesus is the mediator. I just want to hammer this, and I want to be super tender when I do this, okay? But let's make sure we really get this. Jesus is the mediator. Jesus alone is the mediator. Jesus is the mediator. Everybody say Jesus. There are a lot of churches that prefer to teach that somehow some man comes on behalf of other men's sin and tries to manage them. And I wanna be super careful and tender in this, but man, I'm just telling you flat out, the Catholic Church has this wrong. This is a major issue. 
to say you must come to a human priest, mediator, in order to have your sin dealt with. That is not true. Scripture's super clear on this. There is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy. It says here, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So man, there is nothing wrong with talking to somebody about sin you are struggling with. There is nothing wrong with that. James 5 even says, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you might be healed. Yes, it's good for accountability to be talking together. But man, there is no removal of my sin by talking to another guy. And all of God's people said... And it doesn't matter what he tells you to do, and it should never be that there's some action or call out after it. As we come to confess our sin, our sin is covered, not because we said magic words after it or did something. Jesus Christ and his blood alone. And all of God's people said, dude, I'm just telling you, this is thunderous theology and absolutely essential that we get. We enter into the presence of the God of the universe because of the high priest, his name is Jesus Christ. You at any point in time can enter in. In fact, it is true that we are called by 1 Peter, priests ourselves. You can enter into the throne room of the presence and the access of God at any moment. Lord, please forgive me as you lay it down. This is not a call for us to get another guy to represent on our behalf. We have our representative, his name is Jesus. And all of God's people said, massive theological moment right there. Don't miss it, don't sidestep it. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. He says, so that, purpose statement, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So that those who are called, this is a work of God the Father, right? John 6 says, whom the Father draws will come. There's this calling that happens, Romans chapter 8. Whom is called, right? God the Father playing a role, may receive the promised uh, eternal inheritance. There's a believing, a receiving on the part of the one called. There's an understanding and a grasping. There's a, I believe Jesus is risen from the dead. I confess him as Lord, saved, right? And in that there is then a promised inheritance, a promised inheritance. There is something guaranteed, right? Ephesians chapter one talks about an inheritance guaranteed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you have trusted Christ as Savior, if you believe, and if you have let him be Lord of your life, if you are saved, and please hear me, there is a guarantee of eternal inheritance. Guarantee. Holy Spirit is that seal. You have God the Father and God the Holy Spirit working together with God the Son, and there is a guarantee along the way. And this inheritance, what does that mean? Well, think about it. When do you get an inheritance? Think about that for a moment. When do you receive an inheritance? Well, you receive it when somebody passes away. And so he's going to talk a little bit about that now. He's talking about this inheritance that is had, this privilege that we have, this eternal inheritance, the eternal forever. By the way, get this. Jesus Christ giving you an inheritance, this is a massive privilege. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This eternal inheritance is a forever with him and forever worshiping him, but it's more than that. We'll talk about it in just a second. It says... Um, 
that there is an eternal inheritance since a death has occurred. He's like, just so we're super clear, there's an inheritance being given because a death has occurred. He's talking about Jesus dying on the cross here. He's like, Jesus has died on the cross. There has been a death. And the point of that, that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now remember, this is the author of Hebrews. He's writing to the Jewish people. Can you imagine some of the confusion as they were living under the law? They're living under the first covenant. They're trying to do the things and the rituals and to bring the sacrifices and all the stuff. And then they hear that this Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And now they have all this sin under the Old Testament. They've been trying to cover with these ritualistic things. And he's like, man, I'm just telling you, the death of Jesus actually covers, yes, even that sin. Covered. The sin under the Old Covenant. It says, from transgressions committed under the first covenant, the one where they were following all the ritualistic goat and lamb and dove and all that stuff. And he's like, covered, covered under Jesus Christ. And from transgressions committed under them, he, they are redeemed. Some of your passages or your books even say ransomed, depending on the translation. And uh, what it means is there is a payment being made. Our sin comes with a cost. And Jesus Christ loves you. And he has paid that payment for you. And he is saying, come and trust me. I am your king, Jesus Christ, offering up for us hope. He then says, for where a will is involved. Now, when you read this through real quickly, you might feel like he just changed topics. He's like, there's this new covenant, and then there's this first covenant, and, and you know, the new covenant's better than the first one, and, and then the new one covers over this. So where a will is involved, and you're like, what will is he talking about? Just so we're super clear, the word covenant in the original language is the exact same Greek word as the word will that just showed up here. They're both the same. The first covenant, the new covenant, and a will. They're all the same. They're a word that means like your last will and testament, you know, that thing like you would write down if you wanted to make sure that your inheritance of all of your possessions would go to the right people after you pass away. That thing called a will is also called a testament. By the way, have you ever thought about that? This one kind of blew me away. I got to be honest. I just sort of blew it by. Christianese, man, we got to be super careful with it. We get so used to words, we don't really think about their meaning. The old testament and the new Testament. What does that word mean? I, I didn't even exactly know. I kind of thought it meant something like, I don't know, the, the stories of the old, the stories of the new, you know, a testimony or something. It doesn't mean that. It's the will, the testament, the covenant, the old covenant, the old testament, the old will, the first will, and then the new testament, the new covenant, the new will. We have a God who has a will in place. And for those who believe in him and trust in him, he has written your name as inheritor. That's it. You have an inheritance in Jesus Christ and the will being written, well, it requires the death of someone. And that death is Jesus Christ. It is his will. How much does Jesus Christ own? Right, think about it. How much does Jesus own? He owns everything. He owns the entire universe. He created it all. It's all his. And he's putting it into an inheritance. 
the inheritance when he says an eternal inheritance, he's not just talking about eternal life. Man, phew, glad we got away without having to be in hell, punished, separated from God. Not that. So much more. Literally, he owns it all. And he is putting it all in and a piece of it coming out to each of those who trust in him. We now have privilege and responsibility and ownership. Revelation talks about each of us being assigned thrones, rules, authority. There is some piece of all of this where God is like, now I'm going to share a little with you. You ready? Here we go. And we're going to do this together. The eternal inheritance is more than just life in heaven It's more than just a place with no pain. It's also about all of this physical creation, heavenly and earthly, being shared out through a will. And it got enacted because Jesus died on the cross. And so an inheritance was handed out. And we now have privilege. Jesus Christ. He is the one who is authoring up this will. And then he willingly went to the cross for you and for me. We have promise. Everybody just say, it's a promise. Dude, it is the inheritance of a will. And the word will, and the word testament, and the word covenant, they're all the same word in the Greek, all right? So when we're looking at the old, we're looking at the old covenant, the old testament, the old will, and it is now being ratified by a much better, different kind will that will forever impact your inheritance and your glory to your God in heaven. And all of God's people said, dude, this is a huge deal. And it says, the death of the one who made it must be established. Like if I write a will and I put everything in it so that when my wife and I pass away and it's going to go to my kids, right? The kids don't get it till we pass away. And all of God's people said, Right? Like that's just the way it goes, right? That's how a will works. It's a super important piece. And the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death. There is a covenant or a will or a transaction agreement made by God the Father and God the Son. And when the Son passes away, then the inheritance gets established out. Jesus' death on the cross brings us hope. A will. It says... For a will takes effect at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And Jesus Christ, he went to the cross, he died for you and for me, and we have hope. There's a lot of deep theology in this, and just camping on these couple of things. We have a mediator, his name is Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have a future and eternity with God, it's an inheritance He has authored it up, his word is on it, and it's promised, the end. And just so you know, that inheritance is given to any who believe that he is risen, who confess him as Lord, he's in charge of your life, a part of God's plan, hope. And along the way, God is then doing some perfecting. Here's the beauty of it, that inheritance, it isn't just about there and then, it starts right here and right now. From the moment we trust in Christ, from the moment we believe in him, he begins to do a changing work in our heart one little bit at a time. One little moment at a time. One broken piece of me that needs to be shaped. And he starts revealing his character, who he is to you. He starts showing you how awesome he is. 
And as you start seeing him as that, and you start praising and worshiping him in that, it starts pouring on you and changing you. There is something about standing in the presence of the glory of God that changes your heart. And he will continue to show you new facets of him all over the place that will keep shaping your soul so that you get more and more and more like Christ. Not because the goal is ever us taking over. Everybody say, please, not that. Dude, we're not taking over. Jesus Christ in charge. He forever God Almighty, but he is making us more like him every day. May God get all the praise. The goal is him changing me, all for God's glory, okay? That said, uh, this past week has been uh, um, quite the journey for our family. Um, for those of you who know, John has needed to get surgery on her uh, right foot for quite a while. In fact, both feet had needed surgery, so she had surgery on the Achilles last year on the left uh, foot, and now this year it's the right Achilles. So that went down on Wednesday. We had to cancel and postpone that a couple of times due to other things going on in this world, but we were able to have that surgery on Wednesday. So at this point, praise God, things are going uh, pretty well in comparison to what they were the first time. Part of it's probably we're a little more educated on how to get through things, but she's actually doing well too. I'm just telling you though, man, when the doctors have to go in and take a tendon out of your big toe, I'm not even sure how that works, but there's a tendon taken out of there somehow so that that's no longer got a tendon or feeling in it. That tendon is then basically nailed into the back of your leg and into the bottom of your heel as becoming a support for the Achilles now. So she's now got two screws and bolts in there as well. And then on top of it, that makes it a little tight. So then they cut your calf muscle and stretch it out. That can't feel good. Right? And so bottom line, there's a lot of healing that has to take place. And so there's months where you're not allowed to put weight bearing on it and got to be careful with. And so right now she's riding a little scooter. It's dangerous, but she's riding. Get out of the way, man. Just get out of the way when she's riding that scooter. But she's got the scooter and she's going after it and trying to get around little bits at a time and kind of going through it. Man, the bottom line is healing takes place a little bit at a time with our physical bodies. Isn't that weird? God designed our bodies to get broken and heal. Just so you know, God designed our soul the same way. And all of God's people said, and so he's put us into some massive ratifying surgery. If you have trusted Christ, he is beginning to do way more than an Achilles repair when it comes to our soul. And he's doing surgical replacements that each take time to heal. God is at work perfecting you and me one surgery at a time. And all of God's people said, that's this side of heaven. And praise God, when we get taken home to heaven, whether through rapture or death, when we end up in heaven, the bottom line is immediate, massive surgery, perfection done. God is the great physician and he will get it done. Forever eternity, no pain, no sorrow, and forever serving with him. May God get all the glory. That's our hope. And all of God's people said, amen, man. So simple question, when it comes to his sacrifice, when it comes to your healing, how are you doing at healing? Or are you just hurting? Are you willing to put yourself under the great physician's care and have him change your heart? Are you willing to see transformation 
one little bit at a time. May God get all the glory. Worship is the key. Worship your king with all you got. Point number two, see, see how the Old Testament law was a shadow of Jesus, our Lamb of God, and his sacrifice for us. See how the Old Testament law was a shadow of Jesus, our Lamb of God, and his sacrifice for us. He starts out again, he says, therefore, and when we see the word therefore, we say, What's the therefore, therefore? He's basically saying, since there was a death, since there was a will, a testament, a covenant, since there was this death and it now invokes a privilege, an inheritance of forever with Jesus Christ, since we have this hope of a will, it says not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. He's like, let's make this really clear. There's always been death and blood that's been a part of these wills. The first one had it, this one has it. And just so we're super clear, in the first covenant, the death that was required was of a lamb or a goat. There was some animal sacrifice and this blood that represented, Leviticus talks about the blood, the blood carrying the life of a person. And so it's representative, it's symbolic of some nature that's going on, some care that's taking place in it. But let's be super careful with this. Never, everybody say never, never did that lamb's blood or that goat's blood ever actually take away sin. Never. In fact, Romans chapter 3 says that God in his forbearance, right, putting up with, set the sin aside until the time of Christ. It was a symbol and that was it. There was this symbol, there was this death that occurred of a lamb, but it wasn't even the lamb's will, if you get it, right? The, the goat didn't write a will with some kind of inheritance behind it. There's no lambs. This is a representative symbolic thing. It should have been pretty easy for the priest to go, I don't really get how the lamb's blood covers my sin and I somehow get something else. What's happening with this? How are they connected? Answer, it's a symbol. And the real connection is it's pointing forward to Jesus Christ. It is his will and testament. It is his covenant. It is his plan and agreement. And he will cover sin with his death sacrifice. His blood, my hope. His blood, my coverage. All of it pointing forward to Jesus Christ. He says, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats, and he did something with that there. When Moses was delivering up the commandments, this is the Ten Commandments and even beyond, when he delivered it up, he was making clear to the people that this was from God, and God asked him to use blood as a symbol there. That blood pointing forward to Jesus Christ, it was but a shadow, but Moses used the blood. It says he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Remember what we talked about at the front end of the sermon here, that there is this taking of blood and the sprinkling that happened. And whatever that blood touched was consecrated, was covered, was made holy. God doing something in that symbol saying, heads up, I'm going to be using blood to make you holy. And it's the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It was a symbol making clear the hope that we have in him. When he did it, it said, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. 
The first covenant, God commanded, use the blood of calves and goats. And as it's sprinkled on, this touching of you somehow consecrating like life's blood was used to cover this sin. And God is saying, just so you know, in Jesus Christ, his perfect spotless life inside and out for you. And him taking the blood of Jesus and literally sprinkling it onto your soul for forever transformation, him for you. It's like, just so you know, the blood's being sprinkled to be able to consecrate and set apart. It says, in the same way he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Like all the stuff that we were looking at the pictures of over the last three weeks, every one of those had blood sprinkled on it to be able to consecrate. This will be for worship. I'm just telling you, there is nothing in our worship that takes place without the blood of Jesus and his power. Don't ever let somebody tell you the blood of Jesus was unnecessary. Man, absolutely essential. His blood, the middle, the center, the hub of it all. We have an inheritance because of his death. We have consecration and holiness because of his blood. His blood, my hope. Jesus Christ died to pay what I could not pay. And do you grasp that your sin is that? Remember when the people went before the priest, they had to lay their hand on that animal as if to say, my sin being transferred. And there was a symbolic moment of blood being spread. And do we get that our sin is us laying our hand on Jesus Christ and transferring that sin to him and his work? Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me for what I've made all about me. You get all my worship, his holiness, my hope, and all of God's people said, huge. He says, and in the same way he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. I love that when the author of Hebrews, who is super clear and specific, uses the word almost. He's like, almost everything. Why didn't he just say everything? Because it's not. Some things used water, right? Some things used fire. A lot of things used the blood. All of it has value because of the blood being sacrificed over the top. And then he used these other things as representative means under it. And so being super clear to it, the blood of Jesus Christ is essential for your and my forgiveness. And all of God's people said, he says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Mic drop. Like that's it. There is no forgiveness of sin without the holy God of the universe having our sin covered. Jesus Christ brings us hope. Without the shedding of Jesus' blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Please hear me. Anything done in the Old Testament with the animals only was effective because God was tolerating it until the time of Jesus Christ where he could actually apply something that mattered. The one who was fully man and fully God 
stood between the gap as mediator for man, mediator for God, bringing it together. It is his death, his blood, his inheritance, his creation. All of it is our hope. Behold the Lamb of God. And all of God's people said, his blood is our hope. And so we trust in Jesus Christ and we long for him to forgive us of our sins. May we never cling to self. Hand your sin to your Savior and be done. His blood is our hope. Let's pray.